The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 38. Before we get going today, if you are looking for help with OCD and anxiety, then you can head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. There you will find loads of free resources for dealing with OCD and anxiety. And you can also get my free mini course. All you need to do is uh, sign up for the newsletter and put in your your email. In addition, you can book yourself a a free consultation, uh, which is basically a a free 30-minute chat where you can tell me about um, the issues you're struggling with surrounding OCD or anxiety. And uh, we can discuss how I can help you with that. So moving on with the show. Today, I interview the amazing Lauren. Now, Lauren is somebody who struggled with uh, OCD for many years, and in fact, since the age of five. And so we start off by discussing about the difficulties uh, faced by by children and young people who start to develop um, OCD problems. We then go on to discuss Lauren's experience of uh, treatment using uh, ERP and and, uh, mindfulness and other things. Um, and she discusses, you know, how difficult it can be sometimes to to really um, face up to dealing with the, the fears that OCD gives us. Because ultimately, you know, one of the most important things that we have to learn to do or to accept is to to get better from OCD. We have to learn to, to face those fears. So, so Lauren shares her opinions on that as well as discussing how dogs can be used um, therapeutically to, to help people with OCD, particularly people who struggle with, um, with contamination OCD. Lauren shares loads of really interesting tips and ideas throughout, and I really hope that you find it helpful and interesting. If you'd like to know more about Lauren, you can check her out on Instagram at Lauren underscore unto underscore herself. Law unto herself. <laughs> Okay, guys, many thanks. And as always, if you find this helpful, then please do uh, follow. And if you can give us a five-star rating, it does really help. Oh, and one more thing. Thank you so much to the the people who, uh, you know, are kindly se- um, sending me messages, uh, you know, on Instagram uh, and, and uh, emails as well, telling me, you know, about how helpful this podcast has been. That really does mean a lot to get messages like that. So, you know, thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um, the show is really beginning to, to grow, so that's fantastic. Many thanks. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's, uh, no, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for coming on. So could you, to start off with, can you just tell us a little bit you know, about yourself, like where you're from and, and what you do? Um, so I'm from the UK and I live in Essex. Unfortunately, at the moment, I'm unemployed due to COVID, but I was working for a mental health charity that supports young people. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And uh, and so you're someone who struggled with, with OCD for, for a while, no? 
That's right, yes. So I would say 30 years, really. So I'm 35 in January. So since I was a child. Wow. That's right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. when did you first realise that that you had OCD? Obviously, I mean, many people, um, you know, they, they find out later in life that you know, the, the problems they've always been struggling with were OCD. Um, so I, I imagine it was maybe similar for you. Like, when did you, when, when did you first kind of start experiencing, you know, obsessive uh, thoughts and things? So it would be uh, from the age of five. So my granddad passed away suddenly and it was six weeks after that. And the reason I remember that is because we were actually away on holiday. Um, they were going to cancel the holiday, my family, but my nan was like, oh no, go go and still have your, your break away. So they reduced the amount of weeks we went, but my first kind of OCD thought was on that holiday. Um, and it was a fear of people dying around me and leaving me if I didn't do a certain thing. Mm. Um, and I knew that wasn't, even at a young age, I knew that that wasn't how life worked and that was a strange thought to have, but yeah. the feeling was so intense. Yeah, absolutely. And so you really felt that that urge, you know, to, yeah. to perform that compulsion to to stop these these terrible things from happening. That's right. I really felt that strong urge. I have to do it. And if I don't, all these bad things will happen to yeah. my family and yeah. it will be my fault. And it was that battle between, um, you know, your your rational thoughts, your logical kind of thoughts and the kind of out there thoughts that don't really add up in theory. But in your mind, when you're emotionally based like that, um, through fear it's almost like it makes perfect sense to you oh if I just do this everything will be all right but obviously as we know those who do suffer it never is yeah never exactly stops. you're 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 spot on it, it's funny how OCD can rationalize what is actually a very irrational thing to be doing no that's right yes yeah and I think that's the thing as well especially when you are young I mean whatever age you are it's hard but when you are young you don't really have that obviously that adult perception of looking at things so even more so at that age you're more vulnerable I think to believing in 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 that without having that life experience or experience of losing someone it was like my first time of losing someone close to me very suddenly and I mm. think it really fed on that and it fed yeah. on my naivety Absolutely. Yeah. When something real life actually happens, uh, that's obviously emotionally difficult and, and traumatic. Definitely the, the kind of the, the cycle of OCD can definitely jump on that and, uh, and use that kind of, uh, you know, to, to kind of make it, make it worse in a way. That's right. That's it. It definitely, um, preys on your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses mm. if you can call them that they're probably not weaknesses they're just part of being a, a flawed human but it will find any reason and any way to get in if you just leave the door ajar a little bit it will creep in um so I, I learned that pretty much early on um but it's obviously easier said than done to stop that cycle yeah yeah Okay. I mean, I, in a way, I mean, from age five, it's a very young age to start experiencing these things. But I think actually, like a lot of people who who have OCD, 
when they actually think about it, they can think back to their childhood and they can think of, you know, things that they were doing that were, you know, like probably a lot of their friends weren't doing, you know, those kind of things. So, I mean, for, for example, me, I remember one thing, um, you know, this is way before OCD became problematic for me, but, you know, just as a, a child waiting for my parents to come get me from, from school. And if they didn't turn up on time, I would be completely obsessed that they'd had a car crash and had died, you know? And yeah. I hadn't had a, you know, a kind of a death in the family around that time. But I think you, you know, you're watching TV, you're reading books, you, you kind of read about stories of things that happen to other people. And I think um, for me as, as a child, definitely are those kind of obsessive tendencies would come out sometimes in, in some kind of areas. And, um, you know, like you, you have an awareness, like you were just saying that, you know, this is, this is probably not normal, but, you know, you don't have an understanding of what the problem is or what really to do about it. That's right. That's right. It's, it's kind of that when they say knowledge is power, mm. it is having that knowledge and that kind of, perspective on it as an adult where you can look at something and even though you might still have the thoughts and obviously the disorder it's you know really a lifelong battle you can look at it from that more clarified angle whereas as a, a child it's just absolutely overwhelming it's like believing there's monsters under your bed it's kind of mixed in with that childhood vulnerability and, and mm. you, you can't really unravel that because you're not a equipped to at that age no not at all not at all and actually I think that's a really good point I mean if if you uh if someone's listening to the podcast who does have a child who's you know struggling with these kind of things it's so important to go and work with a professional you know who who can help with these issues because like you're just saying for children for adults it's bad enough and at least we can read about it and we can find out about it and we can understand it intellectually. For a child, it's going to be a lot harder to do all that stuff. And, uh, and like you say, children are so vulnerable and they have very vivid imaginations and all of these things can actually link into OCD and make it a lot worse. That's right. That's it. I think, um, you know, as you say, as an adult, it's bad enough when you do understand it or understand it more. But as a child, trying to navigate that is quite a lonely path. And I do agree, it's really important um, that parents, if they do feel there's something going on with their children related to OCD or any other mental health condition, to definitely seek the correct help. Mm. because I mean my mum and dad didn't this was I mean not so far on away but it was the you know early 90s early to be 90s and we've come such a long way in recent years probably even maybe within the last five to ten years with yeah. our you know yeah. the way we discuss mental health yeah. but back then even though it wasn't the dark ages exactly it definitely wasn't as you know kind of progressed as it is now um, and they didn't even know what OCD was. They just thought I was doing things because I was being naughty. So they never really um, understood that it was a condition, even though actually, I think, ironically, I understood it 
sooner than them. I think I read about it when I was a bit older and I was of the age, probably about eight, nine, where I could be a bit more sort of intellectually aware. And I, I read about OCD in a magazine and recognised that it was me. But I think for parents, sometimes they can't always distinguish what's, um, you know, behaviour that's triggered by a disorder and what might be behaviour, you know, that kids just being kids, you know, like when I used to do things because um, I was worried someone was going to die, I would, you know, tap on something three times. And if I didn't do that, then I would be so consumed that with that magical thinking that, you know, if I don't, someone's going to die, it's all my fault. I'll be on my own, all of those sorts. And, you know, that my mum and dad just thought I was playing up if you know what I mean and I was mm. doing these things turning like switches on and off and sort of messing around and they would treat it as such yeah. um yeah yeah and I think it's definitely worth trying to sit down maybe with your child and, and trying to figure out what's going on because I think if you can nip it in the bud there's a lot better chance of having the right tools to deal with it going into adulthood oh definitely yeah you you've hit the nail on the head there if you can nip it in the bud, I think with, with OCD, that's a really important message. Whether, whether you're someone who's just, you know, just beginning to develop OCD now, you know, beginning to develop that unhealthy style of thinking, or even if you're someone who's had OCD for a long, long time, it's like nipping it in the bud. Like when you, when you first notice that you're beginning to have an obsessive thought, if you can uh, stop performing the compulsions as soon as possible, you know, it's much more likely that you're going to be able to, you know, resist it and, uh, you know, not go into a full blown, you know, like obs obsession that goes on for days and days. If you can literally nip it in the bud at the start, I think that has, uh, you know, that has a big knock on effect. But obviously also with somebody who hasn't been suffering with OCD for very long, you know, it's uh, OCD is definitely a problem that escalates over time because, you know, it's uh, it's a negative thinking style that we, we tend to do. And the more that we do it, the more worn those neuro pathways are in the brain and the easier it is to start, you know, to, to think like that. So, you know, if we can kind of uh, address it when when uh, children or young people are, are still young enough you know, it, it will definitely make it a lot easier for them in the future, for sure. That's right. No, definitely. I think um, that intervention is so important because, as you say, it's kind of like um, the repetitiveness of it and, the you know, the kind of letting it escalate just reinforces that behaviour. So it's so deep-rooted that when you become an adult or a young person, if you go to therapy or even if you, you're trying to kind of help yourself at home, it's such a tight ball of wool to unravel. Mm. Whereas when you're younger and it would be less progressed, mm. it's kind of easier to kind of retrain that brain rather than trying to get to it on a large scale once you've got all those behaviours. But not only those, it kind of spirals off into everything else as well. Yeah. I feel like it just in in a, in a in a way it's kind of like when someone's got cancer and they've got a tumor and little bits start flying off and getting into other areas of their body mm. and 
then it spreads everywhere. And before you know it, it's in every part of your life. And I think that's kind of what OCD is like, yeah. untreated, yes. if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Untreated, it, it can become chronic. Um, and generally, it doesn't doesn't generally improve on its own. You know, it's uh, it's something that does need treatment. So, but fortunately, there is treatment out there, and it's proven, and it does work. You know, um, which is which is you know obviously a really really positive thing. So, with you, you know, after you, I mean, obviously, this started for you as a child, but. Um, at some point, you started to, to get some some help with it. What was the what was the story with that? Okay, so when I was about eighteen, things kind of came to a head. So my OCD has kind of morphed, so to speak, into contamination OCD, which is the type that's the most prevalent even today. So hormones and teenage years it kind of all went into a contamination side so it was a lot of washing hands and washing myself and antibacterial wipes mm. and all of those fears to do with contamination and um I was about 18 and it just got to a point where it was really affecting my life in a way that was very um, dysfunctional. And I was trying to study um, to, to get an apprenticeship and it was just affecting everything. So my mum and dad, because obviously I was only 18 at the time, said, look, you know, we really want you to get help. But I was so reluctant and I was so scared of what they would make me do, knowing that I'd have to face things and have like CBT and exposure therapy. It was like, oh, God, you know, if I if I go through with this therapy, I'm going to have to do the things I'm scared of. Mm. Is that not contradictory? Can I just not go and not have to do them? If you, <laughs> if you know what I mean, my mind yeah, back then yeah. was set in like, actually, is this going to be worse having to face up to them? But obviously, as we know, as, as people progress through CBT, that's exactly what you need to do um, to get better. But at the time, you're just thinking, God, if I've got to go and do these things, is this really therapy? <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah. so I was I was daunted by it, um, but I obviously did go um, and get the help. Mm. So it's the best thing I could have done. Yeah. I had a few mishaps, like when my parents were seeking treatment for me in the earliest stages of that journey, I ended up at a few dodgy like hypnotherapists' houses, um, and I'm not sort of saying hypnotherapy can't work, but I definitely did have a couple of dubious uh, sort of things. I think it's so important that you really research who you go to. There mm -hmm. was one person that didn't seem very legit and another lady that was absolutely lovely, but hypnotherapy just wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, so because the NHS uh, waiting list was long, I did get referred privately so I went to the North London Priory I was an outpatient and that's where I had the the bulk of my CBT treatment and it really was the best thing I could have done yeah. so it's definitely worth you know more than worth trying to overcome your fears of what you know you're going to have to face because you're paying too high a price when you don't and the mm. rewards after are so great yeah. Even though it's a scary step, it's such an important one. Yeah, there's there's a few few big things you you mentioned there. First off, first off, I just wanted to mention about um, hypnotherapy because I think uh, 
I think you're right. I think with with OCD and and you know diff, really difficult anxiety problems, um, hypnotherapy can be helpful, but only in conjunction with other things. You know, it shouldn't be the primary um, the primary route to to treatment. You know, the the primary route to treatment certainly with OCD and and actually most of the time with anxiety. You know, should be looking at things like uh, CBT, ERP, um, acceptance commitment therapy, you know, and working with someone specifically on those things as a as a caveat, as something else to to help you along that way. You know, maybe with mindsets or trying with relaxation. I think uh, hypnotherapy can be useful, but again, like you just said, you you need to be super careful with with uh, the person that you go with and make sure that they have the correct qualification. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the other thing is that you were, you were saying about kind of facing your fears and, you know, how important that is that you, you try your, your very best to be willing to, to face these fears, you know, to, to try your very best to accept the anxiety that these fears give you because obviously it's really hard to do um and like you were just saying it's kind of ironic like I like I like the way you pointed that out that you know like you meant you, you feel like you're going to therapy for something therapeutic uh which gives you the idea of like you know something's going to make you feel more relaxed like how on earth is facing your obsessions like you know gonna help you feel more relaxed um but it is, it is like, you know, the unfortunate truth when it comes to these things that to, to really learn to get over OCD, ultimately, what we have to do is, is learn to overcome those fears, learn to look at them, but in a, in a positive and controlled way, you know, and not asking people to, you know, face the, the biggest, scariest thing that they can think of straight away. I never do that with my clients that I'm working with. It's always like, you know, okay, let's let's try to think of something that, you know, only gives you a one or two out of 10, you know, on the anxiety scale and get you to start kind of paying attention to that first and looking at that and playing with it and trying to understand what it is that you're scared of. And then once people get used to that, then slowly moving up that scale. But it's unavoidable, unfortunately, with these kind of things. We, we ultimately, we have to learn that the fear behind our obsessions is not valid. It's, you know, it's a, an irrational fear that we have that has come about from, from, you know, a negative thinking pattern that, you know, maybe has been going on for a relatively short time, or it could have been going on for a long, long time. But, we have to we have to face those fears and it's difficult at first but your your proof you know that that you can do it no that's right yes um i have had my setbacks but i would say for the most part you know it gave me my life back and it's by no means um meaning that i'm 100% better because I think OCD is something that most of us if not all of us with it will always have to manage but if we can be on top of it and not it on top of us, then I think that's probably the best way forward. It's like managing a chronic condition. Mm. Um, 
but yeah I mean I've had some real challenges I mean especially obviously with Covid um, because that just feeds and kind of uh, reinforces everything that most people with contamination fears if not all worry about and the mm. fact that actually they're telling you now to do things and we know we have to do them because that's for our own safety so we know what the logic is there mm. but the constant wash your hands stay away put a mask on really without the visual side like masks and stuff like that I've probably been living my life like that for best part of 30 years even post-treatment really mm. I mean not to the degree that I was because obviously CBT helped me retrain my brain but in my relapses I know for sure I've been following that methodical kind of way of living and it's funny to see not funny as in you know hilarious but unusual and strange for me to actually see other people now with these anxieties that I kind of have had all my life and I've been living like that forever. And then to see it impact on others, the way I've actually been living to a point of them being very distressed, it makes me realise just what I've put myself through. Mm, absolutely. And and the other thing that I think it shows is that although some people, I, I, I think, uh, you know, some people are more prone to anxiety. You know, it's uh, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's something to do with the amygdala. There's research into it. I mean, there's suggestions and... But I think science generally thinks that people with anxiety have an overactive amygdala. And so we see fear or danger where there isn't actually any danger. And um, so, yeah, so I, I would say a lot of people with OCD have, have that. And so they, they develop this thinking, negative thinking pattern based on this overactive amygdala. But now, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, what we're beginning to see, I think, unfortunately, could be, you know, a bit of a, an epidemic in, in itself uh, in regards to contamination kind of OCD themes, you know, related to, to COVID. Um, because it really is a habit, you know, o OCD. It's a, it's a negative habit that we, we get into. And you know, we are literally being told, you know, to wash our hands, you know, as, as much as possible. And if you are an anxious person, um, you know, and uh, you're being told that all the time, then as you're, as you're like massively aware, if you keep doing that and it becomes a habit and, you know, you feel like your hands are never quite clean enough, you can never quite get that COVID off, then it's very easy to get into this, you know, this, this habit of OCD. And unfortunately, you know, I, I can really see that this is going to cause a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have actually developed OCD um, if it wasn't for, for this pandemic. Uh, I can see a lot of them now actually having problems in the future. And, uh, you know, not just obviously with OCD, with all sorts of mental health problems, but I think that in particular could be a real a real problem. I think so. I think there will be a lot of people that um, haven't had, like you say, OCD before that find that maybe they, they develop OCD tendencies or full-blown OCD as a result and find it hard to adjust to normal or whatever we call normal, supposed normal living again. I think probably children as well being in school following certain rules and things like that um I think 
it will get embedded, which is good in the short term because we know that's what we need to do. But long term, I think it can trigger people. Um, as we know, it, it's often a trigger, a life changing event that can um, impact on someone to, to make them possibly uh, switch on the, the light, so to speak, to, to mm. OCD. Yeah. And definitely if there was a time when that was going to happen, it's, it's probably now, unfortunately. So yeah. it's probably really important that people are aware of the mental health services available. And even if they can't go in person due to COVID, the online support um, and, and, you know, over the phone support that maybe they can receive. But I think moving forward, it will be difficult, even for people like my family, like my dad and my mum and dad been like wiping all their shopping uh, when, when they've come back from shopping. And that's something I used to do, obviously, when there was no need to years yeah. ago, when I was very ill. And it's all those behaviours, which in the short term, I understand it. Obviously, you know, especially having contamination, OCD, I absolutely get it. But it's really strange for me to see my own parents engaging in what I used to engage in. And then for my dad to say, I don't know, even when this is over, if I'm going to be able to stop wiping these things. And I'm thinking exactly what you mentioned. That really is a gateway into, you know, a bigger problem. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very worrying. It's, it's very concerning. Um yeah okay well and have you have you tried other other kind of treatment processes like you know obviously you, you were talking about ERP that you've done have you tried things like um, acceptance commitment therapy meditation and, and, and things like this um I've only had CBT so cognitive behavioral therapy so like yeah. the exposure and re response prevention yeah. and kind of that of that mindfulness um mm. philosophy yeah and i'm also on medication um i came off for many years about 11 years i was off of it and i'm back on it now because i had a really bad relapse in late 2018 okay um so although i haven't had uh treatment as in therapy i am back on the the medication but mm. that kind of combined with therapy was for me personally a very powerful and good route to have taken um yeah. but i've not necessarily explored um anything other than the cbt mindfulness kind of route um i don't know what um kind of if there's anything else that's kind of developed in the years since i kind of finished my my treatment in 2005 so it was quite a long time ago yeah um or whether things have moved on or evolved but that's what I went through yeah I mean acceptance commitment therapy is you know it's basically a blend of CBT and mindfulness um okay. with a big component of um you know values committing to values and uh you know kind of making sure that you're taking daily action towards your values because I think you know, I think this is a really big part of OCD as well is, and th this is, this was certainly true for me. I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know about you, but like, as the OCD progressed, I noticed how my world became smaller. You know, I was doing less and less of the things that I really enjoyed and that I really made my life meaningful. And um, because, because the anxiety and the obsessions took over, you know, they became the center of everything. And even if I was out with friends and things, like half the time I'd be stuck in my head, you know, unable to really join in in the conversation because I'd be so concerned about, about what I was thinking about, you know? And so 
it was really uh, it was it was really difficult. And so I think sometimes, obviously, we were talking earlier about facing fears, but I think sometimes reconnecting with with some values that maybe you've lost touch with that can be really powerful as well because when we have things that we can focus on from outside of us things that you know you know maybe it could be things like creativity or adventure or you know like um like friendship we can focus on on any of these things and it can give us the motivation to keep refocusing on the present moment rather than focusing on on the difficult thoughts and and feelings and uh I, I kind of wanted to mention this because I know you were telling me about um, some work that you were doing with, um, um, you know, with, uh, I think it was working with a dog um, yeah. to, uh, to help people with anxiety and OCD. Could you, could you, could you tell us about that? Because I think that's uh, definitely a value there that, um, you know, that you were working with. That's right. Um, so when I was at the charity, the mental health charity working there, one of the therapists um, got a puppy, uh, a cockapoo called Teddy, and cockapoos, they're not, great, they're, they're absolutely stuff. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they're lovely, lovely yeah. character. Yeah, um, so she she brought him in obviously because she was hoping to train him as a therapy dog in the future for anxiety, yeah. not necessarily just OCD. Um, and he needed to get acclimatized to people. So he'd come in and I'd not even, I don't think I'd stroked an animal for about 10 years. I don't think, uh, even though I'm a massive animal lover and that was really hard. And when he first came in, I felt a bit anxious, but I was okay. Um, but as time went on, I got a bit braver around him. And he was so adorable that I couldn't help myself, but want to give him a cuddle and stroke him and things like that. And I built up from there. And then eventually he was licking my hand. I was holding him. I was cuddling him. I couldn't wait for him to come in. And I reconnected with that love of animals mm. and realised what I'd been missing out on for all those years. Although I wasn't 100% comfortable, I wasn't completely freaked out. And how much that, you know, how adorable he was and how much I really loved him, it did outweigh those OCD fears mm. if you know what yeah. I mean it, it outweighed the risk in yeah. my mind of stroking a dog you know yeah. obviously I'd wash my hands after I'd lick my hands and stuff like that but before I would never have tolerated any of it yeah um and he had lots of mishaps as you can imagine as a puppy even in the office and before that really would have really thrown me I think I'd have had to have gone home yeah because I'd yeah. be too anxious and although yeah. I was anxious it didn't overtake me and I think the more I realized the true therapeutic side of, of dogs um that really made me look at life in a different way um, yeah. and yeah yeah and reconnect like you say reconnect with something I, that made me feel alive and like a person other than just someone with OCD I mean there's so many things I could talk about there with with that I mean like first off I mean, it's, uh, you were doing something to help other people know. So you were going yeah. and you were helping in this charity. And, and I imagine that was, that was a good feeling in itself. No, it was, it was, I, I loved working there. Um, and I'm, I'm really sad that, you know, that came to an end, but yeah, it, it was very therapeutic in itself. Yeah. Mm. Even though I had my own struggles being there. 
yeah. and helping other people. Yeah. yeah, I really think, you know, like, so for me, there's loads of values that, that you're kind of hitting there, you know, like connection with other people, helping, being of service, um, you know, uh, kind of like um, connecting with, with animals even, you know, there's so many different things we could talk about that, you know, that give life a bit more meaning. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention with this is um, if you're struggling with contamination uh, themes, then, you know, dogs can be great because for, for different reasons. Number one, yeah, maybe it's a bit of an exposure to, to stroke the dog. Um, but also there's like a scientific like kind of reason for it as well. Why actually stroking uh, a dog is good. And that's because, you know, dogs have a lot of, um, good bacteria on them. Actually, we have this idea in society that bacteria is bad, you know, that we have to spray everything down and get rid of all the germs and blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's not actually true. You know, we, we, we actually need bacteria. You know, a lot of bacteria is good. It's, it's what makes our immune system function. It, what, it's, it's what makes our gut you know, and our digestive system function properly. If we didn't have bacteria, you know, we, we literally wouldn't be alive. You know, bacteria is so important for, for, for so many things. And so patting down your dog, it gives you good bacteria and it helps with your immune system. Um, so that's, that's another reason for, for why it's quite a good idea. But also there's the connection there and, and dogs are amazing for that. So, so many, so many good things, I, I think. That's right. They, they are so therapeutic. And even when, you know, he got to know me and I'd come in in the morning and he'd already be there, he'd come and say hello. And it was all of that, you know, those niceties that I'd missed out on. Mm. And I think they're quite perceptive as well, dogs. And I really think, I know it might sound silly to some people, but I really think he knew he was helping me. So even though he was a therapy dog in training, I I just, he, there, I, there was just that connection that I had with him. Yeah. Um, from that perspective, because it was the first time I'd been able to really re-engage with my love of animals again. Yeah. Um, and he, he was, he, he was, um, he used to come running up to me um, you know, <laughs> in the mornings, be the first one he'd jump up and see. And I just, just just think, oh, bless him. He's like, he knows he's he's doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they do. They have a bit of a sixth sense, I think. Yeah. For many things. I was actually very worried today. I was walking my my dog, Bruno, and uh he was playing with like a bamboo stick. And um we were walking along and suddenly he started kind of having this, not a fit, but it kind of looked like he was almost having a fit. And he was lifting up his paws like to, to, his, uh, to his face and kind of clawing away. And I was like, what is going on? So I ran over to him and I opened up his mouth and he had this huge piece of bamboo like stuck at the back of his throat. And uh, I had to kind of like stick my hand in and, and, and kind of pull it out. But I was really concerned. He looked like he couldn't breathe, you know, like he, he could oh, breathe. Bloody. But um, it was like, God, not a nice experience oh, at all. But luckily he's no, okay, the main thing. He's okay. Oh, that's good. Oh, no. Yeah. What, it, what a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing oh. what a connection you build up yes. with, with these dogs. And uh, 
you know, if you have a dog like, like mine, that is, you know, everywhere he goes, he gets into trouble, literally, like, he's, (laughs) (laughs) he's so mischievous, it's ridiculous. He's, he's, uh, he's amazing. And uh, I love him for that reason. But he's always getting to trouble. Always. (laughs) What breed is he? He's uh, a Springer Spaniel. Oh, full of energy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's so naughty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. So um from your from your experiences, like if you if you had kind of one piece of advice for people who are struggling with with OCD, what, what would it be? Um, I would say to make sure you speak to someone, try and explore the avenues that you can regarding therapy and support there is free support out there as well um don't be so hard on yourself and realize that you're not weird or a freak or set apart from society actually everyone in some ways has a tendency to feel and think in an OCD like way it's just that some people are more susceptible than others and it becomes a full-blown condition Mm. um so definitely don't feel embarrassed or or anything like that at all don't let that be a an obstacle um in the way of actually receiving the help you deserve and you need and realize that everything that you want is on the other side of fear you'll never be able to get that with OCD standing in your way you know and often you know, it's like the angel and the devil on your shoulder. The devil's always telling you that things are so bad. And, you know, you've got the little angel saying, no, 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 it's all right. So it's more of the logical side coming into play. Um, and it really is listening to the good voices rather than the bad ones. And knowing that there is there is help out there and there is a way out and a way of managing it. And, and it isn't hopeless. And you can live a full or a much fuller life even with the condition and actually even though there's not many positives to OCD it can make you a better person it can make you more um sensitive and give you that sense of empathy and that helped me do the job that I you know unfortunately had to leave in February but there are positives to it um in that sense and you can use it for good Mm. and I'm sure you'll be able to go back to that job again you know like that's uh once this is you know kind of resolved which uh we are thankfully moving closer towards you know i'm sure you'll be able to head back to that position no um i hope so i don't know about their sort of funding and things like that how that's been affected throughout covid but yeah yeah you know there's a possibility that maybe one day but i'm i'm currently working on my instagram page um this time sort of out of work and the times we've had in lockdowns given me the space to to focus on my Instagram feed which Mm. I talk about mental health on there I talk about um, lots of different issues and beauty and just all of my interests that make me me rather than you know I think once I got kind of quite well I never would have done anything like Instagram before I never would have even done this podcast but like you say, enabled me to focus on who I was just as a person, not yeah, 
I've yeah. had some of OCD. So yeah. it's 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 definitely given me that. So it's yeah, so I that's my that's kind of like my work at the moment is what I'm doing online. Okay. Um at the moment. And if people want to to kind of find you and follow follow you on Instagram, what's your um what's your Instagram handle? It's Lauren underscore unto underscore herself. So like Laura unto herself, but Lauren unto herself. (laughs) (laughs) A Lauren to herself. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think uh, one other thing you were mentioning is uh, about the the stigma related to to OCD and mental health issues in general. And earlier you were talking about how things are definitely improved in that area. And that's really positive. However, you know, things are still not perfect. And for many people, there's still a huge stigma and it's very difficult to, to open up. Um, but like you were just saying, you know, it's so important. And the sooner you can get help, the easier it's going to be for you to, to learn to manage these problems. That's right. That's it. And, and like I say, knowledge is power and it really isn't. I don't think OCD likes that. It likes you to be in the dark and believe everything that it's telling you. Once you figure it out, it loses its power and you actually see how weak it actually is. Mm, So I think, a good way to kind of look at it the more you can learn the more you can learn about how your mind works and how cbt works and um the kind of therapy that you you provide it gives you those tools um and it enables you to move forward and break it down so it's not as intense and overbearing for you so it's definitely learning about it that and it gives you a totally different angle on it and I think looking at it through a different lens sometimes is the best way. It doesn't change the problem, but it changes the way you view it. And if it changes the way you view it, it changes the way you manage it. So it's yeah. definitely good. Even just talking to someone, uh, yeah. you know, is therapy in itself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on getting, uh, getting the right kind of mindset involved for learning how to manage it is is really important and i love that that you were talking about power there i think that's so true you know ocd when you really have it when you're really stuck it can feel like you've lost that power that uh that autonomy to be able to make you know decisions and and do the things that you really want to do in your life that that make life meaningful so you stop doing them and you know and then you feel more and more disempowered and so, yeah, like OCD hates it when you take that, when you take that power back, but you can. And an important thing is to say that, you know, you may feel like you don't have a choice, but that's not true. OCD doesn't want you to realize that you have a choice about what you do, where you put your attention. You can't control the thoughts, you can't control the feelings, but you can choose where you put your attention. And that is the thing that leads ultimately to you learning how to manage it. So if you can, you know, get support with that about learning how to refocus your attention onto the present moment, um, you know, learning how to learning how to choose to face your fears in a positive way. uh, These are the things that will lead to you getting that personal power back. And that's an incredible feeling. That really is. That's so empowering. And that's, almost like a serotonin boost in itself. I remember when I first started doing exposures and it was scary, but then actually, as I went along, 
I got so confident at one point that I was like, oh, I want to try doing something else now. It was that sense of freedom and liberation type thing. You know, it, it kind of spurs you on. Like you say, you do those little steps, you get your hierarchy, you start off small, it leads to bigger steps. But once you start the ball rolling and you kind of see, although obviously you have your setbacks, which is normal, you see how your world opens up. It becomes a really positive thing to engage in those things you once were so afraid of because you, you realise on the other side of that is that sense of control and power. OCD yeah. is trying to give you some false sense of control when actually it's the thing that's controlling you, but by reversing it, you get your control back. You only truly get it back when you give up control, which sounds so contradictory, <laughs> but yeah. it, it is that, that conundrum. <laughs> yeah, it's the paradox of OCD yeah. and anxiety. Yeah, learning to give up control is is incredibly important. And by doing so, like you just said, you, you get that control back. But it's it's not very intuitive. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's, it seems like an oxymoron, but mm. it yeah, it really is. Um, it's a great feeling, um, and you you do feel proud of yourself. And mm. I sometimes I go on forums and they talk about the bad days they're having and their struggles, which is really good because it's great to talk about that. And I've had a fair few this year, as we all have. Um, but they also talk about their their OCD achievements and I think that's so important as well we put a lot of emphasis on where we feel we're not going quite the right route but actually thinking about things even the most smallest of things if we can focus on the things that we did do and mm. are able to do then that's such a good thing and to lift each other up with that and kind of get inspiration from others even if you're, you're issue might be slightly different obviously mm. it's all running along the same thing you can get that inspiration from other people um so i think it's good to focus on the achievements that you're able to you know even the smallest things and that definitely is a, a good way of uh focusing on the positive side of your yeah. ocd journey yeah and it's building that self-compassion as well and uh you know that's that's something that takes a big you know has always been kind of broken down a little bit by anxiety and by OCD so when you can build up that self-compassion again by by really acknowledging the things that you are doing well you know it's uh, it's definitely definitely a good thing to to be doing um Lauren thank you so much for your time it's been it's been fantastic talking to you and um, I think you've shared like so many like really interesting uh, ideas and um, really helpful tips from your own personal experiences and, and, and you know, ongoing process, like you were saying, of, of, of managing OCD. That's right. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely. Thanks for having me. And I'm so glad that you've gained something. And I hope, like from our conversation, I hope that anybody else out there um, might have done as well, um, because I know sometimes just hearing the right things at the right time can really be everything so if there's any even just the smallest thing that I've been able to say or shed some light on in our conversation and the amazing interesting things that you've said and points you've made if that can help someone then that's that's a great thing especially in 2020 yeah fantastic many thanks Lauren thank you Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks.
And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.